0: Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on January 15, 2019. Your New Year's resolution, learn about the Sections 245A and 267A regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Bernard Mohns, a PwC tax partner and our Global International Tax Services Leader, and International Tax Service US Inbound Leader, Rebecca Lee and Marty Hunter, both PwC Tax Partners in our International Tax Services Practice, as well as Nils Cousins, a Director in our International Tax Services Practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on imported mismatches and dual consolidated losses. Have a listen. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make up with, it, with important mismatches because that's, a, that's certainly one that um, you know, uh, truth be told is also consistent with what the OECD uh, was concerned about when it came to hybrids. And here the concept is that if the U.S. Is, has a, just a straight loan from, uh, from a related foreign party and that, that non-U.S. party in turn then has a hybrid instrument where it owes money to an entity that doesn't pick up the income, what the U.S. does is it denies the deduction on the basis that that hybrid outcome that sits outside the United States is effectively imported into into the U.S. Uh, And again, that is consistent with what we see uh, at the OECD level and in in many other other jurisdictions. Uh, Now, here, as is the case with a number of other uh, parts of these regulations, there is definitely... You know, uh, added vocabulary that, that we all have to get familiar with, uh, and, and, and you know this is not this is not you know any different. Uh, and and here, what you know, really the, the the bottom line is that you have to figure out if the U.S. is making a payment of interest or royalties to um, to a specified recipient, uh, which which is which is a related party, uh, not, you know, non-U.S. or or a branch, uh, you know, taxable branch, non-U.S. taxable branch. And, and then the question is, does that branch or that entity then incur a hybrid deduction, meaning where it receives or is allowed a deduction, uh, but then there is no inclusion? On the other hand, using and importing the principles of the 267 Cap A regulations and applying them to that second leg of the of the transaction, uh, and if that is and if that is the case, then uh, we will deny the deduction. Now. Here is probably the one area where there is a bit of an expansion of the application of the rules compared to what we see at the OECD level, which yes. is that whereas at the OECD level, so-called notional interest deduction regimes were not uh, caught by the by, by the hybrid rules. For U.S. purposes, the, the Treasury uh, is taking the position that they achieve the same outcome as a as a hybrid um, deduction um, or, or, or a hybrid mismatch. Uh, transaction and as a result will deny the deduction. Um, it also includes a loss carry-forward from another accounting period to the extent that the hybrid deduction uh, that was incurred comprises the loss carry-forward so if, you're, if, if if the hi- hybridity really is a, a, a loss carry-forward then that's going to be treated as an actual deduction. Importantly, any deductions that were incurred pre-effective date will not count for the purpose of applying this rule. So. A uh, final example here, uh, hopefully that I'll, you know, I will get some more uh, popularity for the hybrid mismatches compared to the branches <laughs> and the reverse hybrids, uh, US-1 is owned by FW, which in turn is owned by FX, US-1 has a straight loan uh, from FW, FW uh, has uh, issued a hybrid instrument to FX, so FX does not include uh, the item of income, uh, the $100 it receives from FW. Uh, applying the um, the principles of 267, and here what we see is that when the U.S. Uh, U.S. one makes a payment to FW, that it will be disallowed uh, the deduction on the basis that there is an imported uh, hybrid uh, from the FX FW instrument uh, into uh, into the U.S. Now, the one thing that I probably want to just you know catch on very quickly here is that. To apply this, you don't just have to look at at FW to see if Mm. it has a hybrid instrument uh, or hybrid transaction with somebody else like FX but you also have to look elsewhere in the chain to figure out if some other related hybrid transaction can be imported into the US as well.
0: That seems like it's going to be hugely challenging, Mm -hmm. especially for a lot of our inbounds who may have some transparency to what's going on at the FW level, but oftentimes they've got a US tax department and a home Mm -hmm. office tax department, um, and maybe they don't talk as often as maybe they will be now after uh, these So. Maybe switching gears, uh, you know, one of the themes that's coming up is sort of we've got special uh, dual consolidated loss or DCL rules. Um, Marty, maybe you can sort of, we've given people so much good news. Maybe you can (laughs) bring us home with some words on the dual (laughs) consolidated loss rules.
2: Yeah, so so more good news. And um, (laughs) folks that were paying attention to the picture that Nils showed will find this picture um, very familiar where we have... On the left side, uh, a foreign company, FX, that owns 100% of the stock of US-1, which we've depicted as a reverse hybrid, so something that is effectively potentially transparent from a US perspective or or would default to a partnership in uh, most jurisdictions, including the US, but for which uh, it has made an election to be treated as a corporation under the the check-the-box rules, which turns it into a taxable corporation from a US tax perspective. And so, to the extent there are deductible payments at US one, those deductible payments uh, would otherwise be available, potentially subject to other limitations, uh, to reduce US one's taxable income. And if we make a leap that's not on the page and assume that US one has corporate subsidiaries that join US one and filing a consolidated return, mm-hmm. uh, then that deduction at US one is available to offset its consolidated taxable income. So I think the sort of distinction between the deduction we're ta- or, or the, um, the approach to this type of arrangement that the DCL rules take against the sort of hybrid approach um, that, that Nils described. He described that, well, to the extent US-1 has income that FX actually sees, um, then there's no real hybridity here giving a deduction because the US is getting a deduction, but you know FX is just including all the income that the US was deducting against. So it's not really the place of the hybrid rules um, to combat that deduction. But um, folks that are familiar with the dual consolidated loss regime might look up and say, well, now we've got a deduction that was available for both potentially U.S. and foreign law purposes against the same income. uh, Or that, in other words, the U.S. used that deduction uh, against income that's going to be included by FX. And historically, and this was a known issue, as we mentioned in the the bullet point here uh, at the beginning, the IRS has long been aware of the Um, outcome that a regarded U.S. entity was not subject to the dual consolidated loss rules in this arrangement because those rules were applicable to um, true dual resident taxpayers or separate units of U.S. companies, so U.S. Corporations with, you know, branches, disregarded entities, or partnership interests that were subject to tax in non-U.S. jurisdictions. If you, th- those are effectively arrangements at or below the U.S. taxpayer, um, this de- th- this arrangement obviously is applying to a deduction that's available sort of at and above um, the U.S. taxpayer. So, a really novel approach to it. Um, what the regulations require is that, to the extent. This transaction is entered into subsequent to the effective date here, which is taxable years beginning after the date that these regulations were issued, so December 20th, 2018. Um, if US one was formed, in order to make the the Section 7701 check the box election to be treated as a corporation, um, there is a condition that the US company agree um, that this arrangement will be treated uh, as a, a, a Uh, effectively a dual consolidated loss arrangement, so that you have to effectively treat U.S. One as a dual resident corporation for purposes of applying 1503 as a condition of electing to be treated as a corporation, which in fact means that now the dual consolidated loss rules as written sort of apply to this arrangement, even though it's not described in the 1503 D regs, this U.S. company has consented to be subject to those rules. And and so that's sort of prospectively which may put a damper on these types of arrangements being implemented. Um, The important thing is for companies that already have this structure, so to the extent a company has a parent in a foreign jurisdiction and is operating through a reverse hybrid U.S. parent company of its U.S. group, um, there's a transition rule that requires that for the first taxable year of that U.S. reverse hybrid that these rules are in effect. They must either consent – to remain to be treated as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes. And if they don't, there's sort of a deemed liquidation here of the U.S. company on the basis that that company's just not eligible to be treated as a corporation anymore under the uh, entity classification election rule. I think a pretty creative rule in the sense of sort of using the check-the-box regulations to police or expand the 1503D regulations um, in a way that addresses the same kind of deduction, no income um, scenario that Nils described, just with respect to sort of different pockets of income that could occur in a U.S. consolidated group.
1: Yeah. and that, That's a this is really a, a just an interesting, an interesting way of doing this because as you said us one typically will have a bunch of entities below it and if you don't you know consent to be treated as a corporation us one is treated as liquidating and then you have to deal with 367 e and you know how does that apply uh so that that's one the second one just more globally again mm-hmm. um I, I think it's fair to say that a number of the jurisdictions where we have seen this type of an arrangement you know they've they've already enacted kind of their mirror legislation that are special special rules that deal with what happens if the other jurisdiction has 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 um uh, you know, has had similar regulations enacted, and then just finally, just a quick note on the slide: that that loan from FX into S one it's probably better if it's a if it's a loan from yeah. a bank, uh, mm-hmm. because the domestic versus hybrid rules—the one we just talked about earlier—they yeah. uh, mm-hmm. would they would catch this. So this is really a bank. Typically, would be banked that into, into US one. Yeah. So you'd have the the deduction that would be available both for country X right exactly and US tax. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.